Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, as we've seen in the last few weeks, is writing this letter to Christians living in a place that would be difficult spiritually. Ephesus was a central place for false religions. The temple of Artemis was located there, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, one of the largest buildings in the Roman Empire, devoted to the worship of a false god, the goddess Artemis. Ephesus also was a center for the practice of magic and the practice of the dark occultic arts. So Ephesus would have been a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus, kind of like where we are here, okay? So how does Paul start off encouraging believers who are living in a difficult place spiritually? In verse 3, he starts by reminding us that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is ours, which strengthens us, which encourages us. And then in verses 4 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul lists many of those spiritual blessings. And we saw last week, the first two he mentions in verses 4 through 6, the spiritual blessing of election, that God chose us before the foundation of the world for no reason in us. We were just like everybody else, but he chose us to be holy and blameless which means just like Tom was sharing earlier, because you're trusting Jesus now, you can know you are going to be, you're becoming, and you will be holy and blameless because God's going to do it. And then the second blessing is the one of predestination, that God predestined us. He decided beforehand that he would adopt us as his sons and his daughters, which means God is your father. No condemnation. He's your father. He loves you. He cares for you. So those are the first two that Paul starts with. And now this morning, two more spiritual blessings in verses 7 and 8. The blessing of redemption and the blessing of forgiveness. I hope you'll leave here today understanding what the difference is, how redemption is different from forgiveness. They're both, they overlap, but they're beautiful spiritual blessings. Look at what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. In him, referring to Christ, In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So what is the blessing of redemption? Well, the word redemption was used all through the Old Testament to describe the process by which someone would be freed from slavery. So in the Old Testament, they had kind of a voluntary slavery, which sounds strange, but if you ran into financial difficulties so that you were no longer able to pay your bills, you had massive debts that had piled up, you couldn't afford food or shelter anymore, one step you could take would be to sell yourself to somebody else who had resources. They would pay off your debts, and you would work for this person as their slave until your debt to them was paid off. It's called redemption, and you can see this. Look at Leviticus chapter 25. It's way back to the left in your Bibles. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Turn to it. I know we'll have it up here to bless you, but have your own Bible so that you can make little notes in the margins, okay, in circle words. Leviticus 25, verses 47 to 49. Look at what we read. To be redeemed means that someone pays your debt and sets you free from slavery. Verse 47. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor 
and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan. So see, somebody's poor, they need help, so they sell themselves to somebody else who's wealthy. Verse 48, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. So to be redeemed means that someone pays your debt and sets you free from slavery. And that's what Paul says Jesus has done for us. Back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now, the reason Paul talks about redemption is because we were all slaves. That's what that means. If you were redeemed, what that means is that you were, we were, we all were slaves. Here's what that means. We all have free will, we can, which means we can choose whatever we want. The problem, though, is that our sin has corrupted our will, so all we want is sin. We don't want God. We love the darkness. We love the darkness. We love sin, not the light, not God, not Jesus. And so we were free to choose whatever we wanted, and because of our sin, what we wanted was sin. We were enslaved, the Bible says, to sin. Sin is an enslaving power. And so we were caught up in slavery. And because of our sin, we faced eternal punishment, infinite punishment, because we'd wronged, we'd blasphemed and slandered an infinitely glorious God. But in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, which means that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid your debt in full. Now, the debt wasn't paid to Satan, right? It was a debt owed to God's justice because we all had sinned against God, and he justly must punish us because he's a just God. So Jesus paid in full by receiving the punishment in himself that we owed. He paid our debt in full. And by paying our debt in full, he freed you from sin's enslaving power. He freed you. The chains of sin that were holding you broke and you were free. The prison door that was slammed shut holding you into sin opened up. You were free. God brought his power upon you at some point in your life, and he broke you free from the power of sin. He broke the chains. He opened the cell door. You're like the John Wesley hymn, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what happened when God saved you. Jesus paid the debt of justice that you owed, and he set you free from slavery to sin. That's what Jesus did. So redemption and forgiveness are different. Very important to understand these. Redemption means Jesus pays your debt to free you from sin's power. Redemption frees you from sin's power. Forgiveness means Jesus pays your debt to set you free from sin's guilt, okay? Redemption frees you from actual sinning, sin's power. Forgiveness frees you from sin's guilt. And when you are freed from sin's power and you're freed from sin's guilt, you are free, 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 
because Jesus does it all. So that's what redemption is. Now, let me give you a passage to just back this up. This may be a new thought for you, but I'm hoping that everyone in Grace Church will know from now on what forgiveness is, beautiful blessing, and what redemption is, beautiful blessing. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. You'll see how the word redeemed is used there. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us, there's the word, from all lawlessness. That means he broke you free from the power of sin, from slavery to sin. You were enslaved to lawlessness. He redeemed you from lawlessness so that you walked away from lawlessness, no more committing lawlessness. You're set free from sin, sin's power, from all lawlessness, and then to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So Jesus paid your debt to free you from sin's power. This is amazing. You had chains on you. The chains fell off. You were set free, which means that you are no longer a slave. You are free from the power of of sin. Now, that's one of the spiritual blessings Paul wants to encourage us with. Now, why is this so important to understand? And I, I think many of us desperately need to hear this and to understand this this morning. There's lots of reasons, but let me home in on one. It's because there will be many times in, in our lives, I experience this, you experience this, where sin's pull is so strong that it feels like there's no way we're going to ever be freed from this. We might as well just surrender and give up, right? It's true. Every believer will experience times where sin's Whole sin's temptation, sin's pull is so strong, it seems hopeless to try to resist. We can feel, for example, anger rising up in us, just so strong. Anger, bitterness, rage, it's like this heart is never going to change. I am seriously ticked, right? I'm not, but you understand, right? And, and then, then you just get swept up in the slavery of it. We can experience sexual temptation so powerfully that we feel like there's no way I could ever resist this. I might as well just succumb. We can become so fearful at times, so filled with worry, so filled with anxiety that we just give up and just sink deeper and deeper into into the quicksand of it. Okay, but it's at those times when you feel like you're chained, when you feel like you're back in the prison cell, when you feel like you can't bust out, you are a slave again. It's at those times we need to open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and read again. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. Because you're trusting Jesus, that shows that he has paid your debt and he has freed you from sin's power. Now, it's a little puzzling, though, because I th- I mean, sin's power can really pull at us sometimes, right? And we've all sinned this last week, right? So what does this mean that we, that we do? I mean, it doesn't mean that you repeat to yourself, I'm free from sin, I'm free from sin, I'm free from sin, when you face temptations. Have you tried that? Not so helpful, okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. Here's what it does mean. It means that Jesus will set you free from every temptation you face. He has on the cross 
purchased all the power you need to overcome that sin. He's purchased on the cross all the sin-destroying power, all the sin-overcoming power. He has purchased for you everything you need to put that sin, that temptation to death. And so he's done that. He's, he's purchased it. It's done on the cross. It's, it's available to you. And now as you live your life, he will apply it to you here, here. Whenever you call upon him, it's just like Tom was urging us to earlier, he will apply what he did on the cross to you throughout your life. So he did it on the cross. He freed you from sin. He changed your heart. We still get tempted now, but whenever a temptation arises, as we cry out to him and ask him for help and open up the scriptures and preach the word of God to ourselves, he will bring the power of the Holy Spirit and free our hearts from the temptation. Let me tell you one way I experienced this. This is years ago. I was working in real estate uh, as we were planting a church in the U.S. to pay the bills. I worked in real estate, and one day a new agent asked me if he could hold uh, an open house at one of the homes I had on the market. And I said, sure, it would, it would help me because it will market one of my homes and it would help him, give him some business. And so he held one of my listings uh, open as an open house. But after the open house was over, I get a phone call from one of my clients who was shocked. He says, I stopped by this open house and I met this new agent and he was telling everybody what a terrible agent you were. And he was trying to get me to become one of his clients when he heard that I was your client. And just this bitterness and this sense of rage and this sense of anger and thinking, how many of my clients aren't going to call me? How many were persuaded by what he was saying? And just this sense of overpowering rage and this, this injustice of it. Here I'm helping him out and he's doing what? You understand that? So what do you do at those times? I mean, my heart was just like, it was just sinking fast. It was like, gone. There's like no coming back. It's just heading down, right? But see, here's the beauty. Jesus paid my debt and has freed me from the power of sin, which doesn't mean I'll never feel sin's pull, but it means that whenever I do, if I cry out to him and preach God's word to myself, he will apply that Sin, slavery, freeing power to me again and again and again. So I don't remember all the details. All I remember as I'm thinking back is that he dramatically changed my heart. But here's what I would have prayed if I'm doing it now, okay? I would have started off saying, Jesus, look at my heart. I'm sinking into the quicksand of anger, and I need your help. Help me. You have paid the debt. You have broken the power of this sin. You have set me free from this anger. You did that on the cross. My anger was put to death on the cross. Apply that to me now. Help me now. And then I would have opened up God's word. And I've learned that whenever I get angry about something, see if this makes sense to you, it's because I'm seeking my joy in something besides Jesus, which somebody's taking away or has taken away. And I, I was seeking a lot of my joy, a lot of my life in, in having clients, in the prestige of that, the, the, the income from that. It was helpful. And I said, I say, Jesus, I'm, I'm making this way too big a deal. I have you. I have you as my Savior and my Lord. You're my provider. You're my love. You're my life. You're my treasure. And I'm, I'm totally blind. I'm not even seeing you right now. I'm just seeing I might lose a client or two. That was my whole focus. So help me. Open my eyes. So I would preach like maybe Philippians 1.21. Fuller, for Paul, for you to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. Jesus is your life. Clients isn't your life. 
Jesus will take care of your clients. He'll take care of your income. Genesis 50, 20, I would preach that to myself. What, what he meant for evil, God meant for good. Good is coming through this. I may need to have a little chat with him. That's another issue for another time. But I can trust good's coming to me out of this. God's not worried. He's not, oh, no, what are we going to do? He's like, got this. I planned this. This is all going to be good. Trust me, right? And then as I would have thought about the fact that Jesus has forgiven me for infinitely more than what this client or what this man did to me. I, I, as I would pray over that, the Holy Spirit would melt my pride away and melt my sense of revenge. And this is just wrong. And I would have been humbled before God's mercy and I would have said, vengeance is yours. You take care of it. And forgiveness would have come. Now, it's not easy, right? You understand? This is not a, like, say three words and you'll be solved. This can be a process of crying out to God in prayer. Help me. Apply to me what you did on the cross. But see, this is the beauty. Jesus has broken the power of every temptation you will ever face. Jesus has put to death your lust on the cross and your bitterness on the cross and your worry or jealousy on the cross. He's put those things to death. And as you live your life, he will apply that to you as you cry out to him and as you preach God's word to yourself. That's how it works. Now, let me give you another scripture to illustrate this. You may have doubts at this point. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I think this is so important because I would guess that some of us here this morning, you feel like some sin has overtaken you and that you are, just like Tom was sharing earlier, a failure. And that there's nothing you can do about it. It's hopeless. You're sunk with it. You just feel like you're, you are chained up. And I want to tell you, that is not true. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you, by His grace, are able. See that? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you, by His grace, are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be, may be able to endure it. So every temptation you face, God in His faithfulness will only allow you to be tempted with temptations that by His grace you are able, by His grace, to overcome. And as you cry out to Him, He will provide the way of escape. You say, Lord, help me change my heart. Use your word, and He will come and do that. So here's what this means. When you feel anger rising up in your heart so powerfully that you feel like it can't be overcome, okay, remember, he paid your debt and he's freed you from sin's power and he will apply that to your life as you cry out to him, as you preach God's word to yourself. He will do it. So fight, fight, battle. Open up your Bible. Get down on your knees. Have others in your home group pray for you. Say, I'm, I'm at war now. I'm being tempted. Pray for me. And then you pray and you preach God's word to yourself. And I promise you, God, more important, God promises you that he will stir your heart. He'll pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. He will change your heart. You will feel your heart change. Oh, I'm sure some of you, almost your whole Christian life has just been duty, 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 while your heart is just a heartbroken mess. 
and you, you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit change in your heart. So there's love and there's joy and there's peace. I've got good news for you. It's not gritting your teeth, so I'm not going to become impatient anymore. That's not what it is. He will change your heart so you are patient. And there may be a battle. You may start off with impatience, and then he'll come and he'll, he'll change your heart so that you trust him for his timing and you see that he's your all-satisfying treasure and you're at peace because he's working it all out. Do you see the difference? It's not gritting your teeth while your heart is just still angry, but I'm not going to be angry. Even though my heart's like angry, it's like, ha, ah, you know, it's, it, it's not it. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts because of what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. When you deal with sexual temptation, the same thing. Jesus has paid your debt. He's broken the power of that sexual temptation. He killed it on the cross. It died on the cross. And he will apply that to you as you cry out to him and preach God's word to yourself. Same with fear or worry. He's paid for your debt. He has put to death that sin. He set you free from slavery to anger. And he will apply that to you as you pray and as you preach God's word to yourself. So that's redemption. Jesus paid our debt and freed us from sin's slavery. And he will apply that to us as we live our Christian lives. Does that mean Christians are sinless? No. But it means we never have to succumb to any temptation. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. I, th I think some of you need to hear this this morning. I, I think some of you feel like you're chained in, in some area of sin and you have fought and fought and fought in ways that you thought would be helpful but it's it's not the ways god calls you to you need to understand jesus paid your debt he has broken the power of that sin he has set you free from slavery to that sin and he will apply that to you as you cry out to him and as you preach god's word to yourself he will do that i'm just praying that this morning chains will fall off. Freedom will come. And you'll, you'll leave here understanding what Jesus has done and starting to experience what Jesus has done for you. That's the first blessing we're talking about this morning. Now there's forgiveness. Forgiveness of our trespasses, verses 7 and 8. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Now, why is forgiveness so important? I thought about this. Pray, Lord, what do you want us to walk away with today? And, and I think what we need to focus on is that Satan works very hard on keeping us from experiencing the freedom and the joy and the delight of being forgiven. And I think many of us, maybe not many, but some, maybe many, are living under a cloud of guilt. And it's not guilt from God. It's our own self-imposed guilt because we're misunderstanding the gospel. And I thought of four ways that Satan keeps us from experiencing the joy of being assured of forgiveness. Four ways. One is, we say we've sinned too much to be forgiven by God. If that's what you're saying, it's not the case. You might think, oh, that's the one person 10 years ago, I hurt them so badly. There's no way I could be forgiven. Is there? Or maybe you think, I grew up in a Christian home, but then I was totally worldly and wayward for so long. 
I mean, how could I really be fully restored and be back or whatever reason you might have? Satan wants you to think you've sinned too much to be forgiven by God. Another way he lies to us about this is he, he says, well, now, you've committed that sin and confessed it again and again and again and again. I mean, like, really? You're going to think you're going to be forgiven again for that same sin? And so you're living under this cloud of guilt. Another version he uses is I've talked to people who think that they can be forgiven for all the sins they committed before they were baptized because they think you know, baptism is what washes you clean from sin. So, but how about the sins after you're baptized? Not so sure. But see, that totally misunderstands baptism. Baptism isn't what washes away your sins. Jesus washes away your sins. Baptism shows that you're trusting him, right? But again, if you're living under this cloud. Some, some of you maybe aren't getting baptized yet because you want to wait a little bit longer to get a couple more sins covered before you get baptized. <laughs> I understand the reason you would do that, okay? Faulty assumptions, though. It's not how it works, all right? Another way Satan does this is by making you think that first you need to feel really, really bad for your sin, or first you need to do some obedience to make up for your sin, or first you need to change your heart so you are free from your sin, but it just never works, does it? That's not how you get assurance of forgiveness. Those are all works. It's not how it happens. And so Satan uses these because he wants to keep us from the joy of knowing that we are completely forgiven by God. Do you know that right now? That you are completely forgiven by God? That God is not and never will condemn you? Ever? Do you know that? that you will never face any punishment from God. Never will you be punished by God. Jesus paid for all the punishments. And that God passionately loves you, cares about you, delights in you. Do you know that? I'm just praying that this morning the Holy Spirit, like the wind of the Spirit, will blow those clouds away so that the sunshine of God's forgiveness will shine upon us. So how can God forgive us? The answer is right there in verses Seven and eight. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So how do we have forgiveness? Same way we have redemption. It's in him. It's in Christ. And we're joined to him by faith alone. It's in Christ. It's through his blood, his shed blood on the cross, and it's according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Now, how does this work? Let me explain this by talking, especially to those of you here this morning who aren't yet trusting Jesus. We are really glad you're here. And it's no accident that God had you be here this morning when we're studying a passage about forgiveness, because he wants you to hear about forgiveness. This is, the, this is the best news in the world. So here's the background. Some of you may not even believe in God, but let me just appeal to you. I mean, think about your body, the complexity of your body. I mean, the wonder that you can eat food that gets digested without you even thinking about it, that if you cut yourself, healing just starts. I mean, you can breathe, blood's flowing, blood pressure, heart beating, all these things are happening. Your brain, it's amazing. You can talk to people, they understand you, you understand them. You are phenomenal. It's just like, are you kidding me? It's breathtaking. And then look at the beauty around us. I mean, sunsets in Abu Dhabi, right? And the dunes and the blue water. 
I mean, let me just appeal to you. Do you really think that all that can come about randomly, by accident? Really? Just ponder that. Please think about that. I think all the evidence points to the fact that there is a glorious, powerful, wise, loving, good God. Because look at what he's created for us. But the Bible says we've all sinned against him. And if you search your heart, you know it's true. I mean, none of us have thanked God the way he deserves to be thanked. None of us has loved God the way he's worthy of being loved. None of us obeys God the, the instant trusting way he deserves to be obeyed. We've all sinned. You have, we all have in this room. We've all sinned against God. And, and we face God's judgment because of it. But the good news is God loves us. The God who created you loves you. The God who created the universe loves you, cares about you. Right now in his heart, there is care and compassion for you, and he's so glad you're hearing this right now because he made a way for you to be completely forgiven by sending Jesus. And Jesus willingly went to the cross, and on the cross, God was pouring out his just punishment that you deserve to receive. He was pouring it out upon Jesus. Jesus willingly went to the cross and was punished in our place for our sin. So picture it like this. You're standing under a pipeline of God's judgment and punishment. You deserve it. He is just and has to do it. And at some point, the spigot's going to open and the punishment and the judgment is going to flow forever. It's heartbreaking. But God sent Jesus and he was punished for sin. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the moment you look to Jesus and say, forgive me, change me, fill me, help me, right? Simple faith. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, God takes that pipeline and he diverts it over here and it was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. All the punishment and judgment you deserved, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, was diverted away from you, and it was all poured out upon Jesus on the cross. His punishment was being punished for your sin and mine. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus, that happens. Now, here's the question. If all of the, the punishment that you had coming to you was poured out upon Jesus, how much punishment is left over for you? The answer is none. None. It was all poured out upon Jesus. That's why his last words on the cross were, it is finished, paid in full. The debt was paid, and so he freed you from sin's guilt. We talked earlier about he freed you from sin's power. Beautiful. But he's also freed you from sin's guilt. Now, so I was just talking to those of you who weren't trusting Jesus. Do you see the beauty of his love and his mercy and his compassion? Do you see who our God is, who Jesus is? Look at his love and trust him right now. Trust him. Trust him. And the moment you do, all of the judgment you deserve will have been poured out upon Jesus. And all that will be coming to you is love and favor and delight 
and joy now and for the rest of your life forever. It'll change everything for you. That's what Jesus did. He was punished for all our sins. Now, for the rest of us, I think some of us are living under a cloud of guilt. And it's not, a, not God's guilt. It's our own misconstrued, our misunderstood guilt. It's a guilt of our own making. It's not God. You might think your past sin is too great to be forgiven. Some of you think that. Think, I know Pastor Steve, but, but you, don't know, you don't know what I did. It doesn't make any difference what you did. Your faith joined you to Jesus Christ, and in Christ you have forgiveness for all your sins. All your sins. Are you saying that Jesus' death wasn't powerful enough to pay for that sin? Don't say that. It's not true. His sin paid for that sin. And so by faith in Jesus Christ, he purchased forgiveness for that sin and all the others. Don't think that the sins you committed before baptism were forgiven, but maybe not the sins you committed after baptism. No, Paul says, by faith you are joined to Jesus Christ. And because you're joined to Jesus, you have forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. You are completely forgiven. So just blow that cloud away. You might think that because you've committed and confessed one particular sin again and again and again and again and again that, that you can't be forgiven. Like you kind of worn out the number of tries you have on that one. Uh, it's not what the Bible teaches. If you're sincere in confessing, Father, I'm back another time. Forgive me. Help me. You're completely forgiven. You'll be assured of complete forgiveness. You might think you first need to feel really sorry to get forgiven or do some real amazing obedience to be forgiven or overcome that area of sin to be forgiven, but those never work. They never bring you that assurance of forgiveness because that's not how it comes. It comes by turning to Jesus just as you are, saying, forgive me, help me, change me. And as you do that, the cloud will be blown away and the love will come, the assurance will come, the joy will come. Oh, I, I long for this for us as a church. That the cloud of false guilt will be blown away by the work of the Holy Spirit through His Word today. Let's destroy the clouds of false guilt and let the sunshine come. And let's understand that the chains have been broken. That every temptation you will ever face has already been broken by Jesus' death on the cross, and he will apply that temptation-breaking power to you as you seek him, pray, and preach God's word to yourself. So we've got the blessing of redemption. He paid your debt and freed you from sin's power, and he will apply that to you as you live your life. And we have the blessing of forgiveness. He paid sin's debt and freed you from sin's guilt. And so you are completely forgiven, past, present, and future, and he will pour out assurance of that again and again and again and again as we confess, as we seek his face, as we move towards him. This all happened through the cross. Our Jesus, your Jesus, he redeemed you and he forgave you. And that's what we're going to celebrate 
right now.